Good morning, guys. Let's start a little bit different. Let's pray together. Father, we just pray this morning that um, you come and speak to us. Like the song that we sang uh, before intermission, Father, I am not enough. We are not enough unless you come because all you are, that's all we want. We want you, Father. And so we just pray that you come this morning, you bring your word, uh, your conviction. It wouldn't be anything that I say, um, but that you would speak to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's going to be a shocker, but I'm going to start by going back on something that I've, I've taught in the past. Um, oftentimes, I see Christians uh, making like selfish dis- choices, right? Things that the Bible definitely doesn't support. Uh, choices that anyone from the outside could look at and say that that's definitely the wrong choice. And they use as their reason for making that choice, God wants me to be happy. You guys ever heard that before? God wants me to be happy. And I just, it never sat well with me. The Bible talks a lot about happiness, but I couldn't find a verse that talks about how happiness trumps everything else. Three years ago, Molly and I went through the re-engage uh, marriage class. Um, you, you need to sign up. If you haven't done the re-engage marriage class, it is worth it just to learn how to apologize to your spouse. Amen. That is the, <laughs> worth it for the class right there. Um, but there, there was a turning point for me that happened. Uh, the teacher of the class mentioned um, that the purpose of my marriage isn't to make me happy, it's to make me holy. And that's a change in perspective. Uh, it, it changes the interactions that Molly and I have, thinking the whole time, this marriage is to make me holy and Molly holy and to strengthen our relationship with God. And so I've taught for a while now that God doesn't call us to happiness. He calls us to holiness. And like many things I believe, I find out over time that I just have a limited perspective on that. So right now we're going through the Beatitudes. And um, they're called the Beatitudes because they start with blessed. Jim Bob talked a lot that first Sunday about what that means, what that word means. So I'm not going to go back over it, but the Greek word there is uh, makarios, and it means a little bit more than blessed. I also think that blessed or blessed has, has kind of lost its meaning in our, like, Christianese. We throw it a- around a lot. Just do a search on Facebook or Instagram for hashtag blessed. It is just all over the place. But specifically, we can get a little bit more detail on this word just by using a concordance. So I got the Strong's uh, concordance. Uh, of the Bible, it gives a little bit more insight. It says it also means like fortunate or well-off or happy. You could replace all of these words, all of these blessed with happy is the, and it works the same way. In fact, there are some translations like the Young's literal translation or the Good News. um, It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. They actually just list them all as happy are the, happy is the, they use the word happy. Um, but I think it's important for us to, to know what this happiness means. It is a happiness that is not dependent on your current circumstances. It's a happiness that transcends our current state. I want to be happy. I don't know about you guys. And sometimes it's hard to be happy, to find happiness. I work my whole life to be happy. So how awesome would it be to be happy regardless of my circumstances? And so that's what brings us 
to what we're going to talk about today. There is a desire in us, and it can only be satisfied in God. So, we've learned the first three weeks about the first three Beatitudes. We're going to go over them really quick. So, if you guys will join me in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, he being Jesus, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is being like at the end of your rope, realizing that there's nothing that you can do about the state of your sin nature. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And in making that realization, you make way for God to build his kingdom starting in your life here in this world. Second, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we are truly mournful, about our current state, when we're sorry for the things that we do and the desires that we have, we'll be able to turn it all over to God and his comfort comes in his forgiveness. Third is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a tough one. You guys really need to go back to last week and watch that whole, that whole sermon. But we, we, um, when we give God control of our life, and find balance in strength and weakness, when we find the power of self-control growing as a fruit of the Spirit and developing in us, that is what's going to take us from this old world into the new world to come. And then that brings us to today's how to be happy. Because remember, each of these could be happy are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So my first question is, why did Jesus use hunger and thirst? And obviously, I don't know the mind of Christ, but I do think it, it touches on the most primal desire that you can have. It's the desire that you're born with. Babies are born hungering and thirsting, and they need food as the very first thing that they do when they're born. Did you know that... Um, kangaroo babies aren't born in the pouch, but you didn't come to church expecting to learn that fact. So when, when it's born, the joey, that's what you call a baby kangaroo, it's born completely bald, blind, and not even fully developed. Its arms are just little nubs. It doesn't have its hind legs. It looks like an embryo. And the hunger and thirst inside that little joey drives it to climb up the mother's fur into the pouch so that it can eat. Hunger and thirst. It's our most primal desire. Not only is hunger and thirst something we're born with, but it's also like a sign of health. Like if you've been sick for a long time, one of the things somebody might say about you coming, coming around is you've regained your appetite. I remember whenever my grandmother died, my grandfather completely lost his appetite. He had no hunger. And it was so sad to watch my parents like feed him milkshakes and they gave him like scrambled eggs with butter in them, trying to gain him just a little bit weight, just a little bit of weight. Um, but he just wanted to be with his wife. Like he had lost all of the desires of this earth. There is a desire inside of us, and it can only be satisfied in God. I think the real problem is that we hunger and thirst for the wrong things. So we hunger and thirst for, and this is a partial list, not exhaustive. We hunger and thirst for wealth, 
for success, for recognition, for sex, for thrill, for power, for vengeance, for social prowess, for acceptance, for independence, for freedom, for health, for peace, for confidence. We hunger and thirst to travel, to party, to be attractive, to have an attractive partner, to be bigger, to be smaller, to be taller, maybe be shorter. I don't know if that's a thing. We hunger and thirst for friendship, for love. We hunger and thirst for happiness. The problem is that all of these will never be satisfied. Whatever the next thing is, whatever your next goal is, when it finally arrives, it's going to turn to ash in your mouth. It leaves you worse than when you started. Like an addict chasing that first high, each time you take a hit, it's disappointing. And this is always the case because there's a desire inside you that can only be satisfied in God. We have an example of this in Scripture. Um, as Jesus and his disciples were traveling to a place called Galilee, they had to travel through um, a region called Samaria. And it seems that Jesus' disciples um, left him at a well, perhaps he was tired. It, we kind of read that he was tired of the journey. So they left him to go get food. And we read that Jesus um, met this woman. So along comes a Samaritan woman. There's a lot to know about Samaria, but suffice it to say for today, since the announcements were so long, according to the culture of the time, Jesus should not be talking to this woman. That's what we need to take away about Samaritans. So he asks her for a drink of water and she comments about how he shouldn't even be talking to her, let alone asking to drink from her water jar. Jesus remarks that if she knew who he was and who had sent him, she would ask him for water, and he would give her living water. So she's surprised. How in the world is this Jewish guy going to draw water when he doesn't even have a jar? He's asking me for a drink. And we read Jesus' response in John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And then Jesus kind of throws out there, uh, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus, in his wisdom, says, that's right, you had five. And the man that you're living with right now isn't your husband. She had been drawing water at a well that didn't satisfy. You guys hear me? She kept returning and returning and returning to that same well, and Jesus is offering her a fully satisfying drink. And I think it's also important for us to realize that we're not talking about some bland, um, penury existence lacking in any enjoyment. Far from it. This hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not self-righteousness, for righteousness is explained later on in that very same story. So the woman runs off to tell everybody about this man named Jesus. 
And then Jesus' disciples show up, and they encourage Jesus to eat, right? Because he's tired. He's worn out from the trip. And Jesus says that he's already gotten food that they know not of. And in perfect disciple form, they're like, all right, who brought the food? Who's hiding food? Who's trying to one-up me and become the favorite disciple? And Jesus replies back in chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what Jesus was hungry for. How much better is it for us to live the life that our creator created us to live? There's no better life than that. It doesn't matter how much you have of whatever you desire. There is no better life than to live the life your creator created you for. And it gets even better. The psalmist tells us in Psalms 37, you really should read the whole psalm because it's all about this. But Psalms 37, three through four says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God wants us to delight in, to find our happiness in him and the plan that he has for our life. And on top of that, he will give us the desire of our heart. And not just that, at the same time, he'll change the things that your heart desires. As we hunger for him and the life he created for us to live, our appetite will change. There's a desire inside of us and it can only be satisfied in God. So it's time to make it practical. How do we bring this home? What's the application? Jesus chose to use the food analogy, so let's just go down that path. I found a study, and I know you're thinking Nathan and his science, but bear with me for just a second. I found a study, and it's called Extended Calorie Restriction Suppresses Overall and Specific Food Cravings, a Systematic Review and a Meta-Analysis, and that's a paper by, I'm going to butcher that name, Kahatha Dwa. Binks, Martin, and Dawson. It was published in PubMed, Pub, PubMed back in 2007. Meta-analysis just means that they looked at a bunch of studies that were all studying the same thing. And so they gathered all the information together to see what they could find. And what they found out is when you change your diet, your cravings change. When you start eating differently, you develop a taste for different foods. And also, as you lose weight, as you cut off that extra, your cravings also change. How crazy is that? We're missing out on something huge because like we put our faith in Christ, we accept him as our Lord and Savior, and we still just down the junk food all the time. And we're like, when, am I, when is my heart ever going to change? We, we're going and doing the same things that we always did, watching the same things that we always did, spending time with the same people that we always did. I'm like, I just want to do better. We have to change our diet in order to change our appetite. So, as we change the diet of our soul, we begin to change our appetites. So what does that look like? Okay, again, I found another article about food, changing your cravings for bad foods. And they put quotations on that because there's not really like bad foods. 
right? You're not eating poison. That's not food. Uh, but how to change our cravings for those things that might not be as healthy. And I just took some of these and ran with them. I think they're so applicable. So this is written by the staff at familydoctor.org, and I think we can apply these same principles to our spiritual life. First, they say, practice mindful eating. Practice mindful eating. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So you got to plan on what you're going to eat if you're going to do this diet. Works for us. Like, if you're wanting to change your cravings, you got to change your diet. And so that means making time in your day for those things that are of God. Scheduling time to practice righteousness, to read or listen to your Bible or commentary on your Bible. I'm going to mention it every time I get up here. You guys can join us for the yearly Bible reading that we're all doing together as a church. tinyurlcom forward slash CPC Bible 22. It's awesome. You should make that time during the day for you to read your Bible, to spend time in prayer, or to do quiet meditation on the things that God's spoken to you or the word that he's given you. So that's the first one. Practice mindful eating. Second is find substitution. So they're talking about if you're hungry for a candy bar, maybe eat something healthier like an apple. But what we see in our spiritual life is that's what fasting is. Fasting is not getting rid of the bad things. Fasting is substituting a good thing for a better thing to change your appetite. So we take breaks from good things in order to change the diet. That's going to change our cravings. So maybe take a break from movies and television for a month so that you have more time to read. Go a period of time like without buying clothes and give that money uh, to, uh, to a good organization or a good cause. One area for me, I'll just tell you guys, is YouTube. I could spend hours wasting time on YouTube. And I don't say it's wasting time. It's like learning. I'm learning and being entertained. Uh, but I've committed. I'm going to take a month. If I'm on YouTube, I'm going to be watching something about the Bible. I follow pastors and theologians. They have a wealth of stuff on YouTube. It's substituting a good thing for an even better thing in order to change our cravings. And then third, and I think this would be the most obvious, get away from temptations, right? Like if you love peanuts, don't keep a jar of peanuts in your house because you're going to be eating those all the time. So if you have a well that you find yourself continually visiting to drink that's never satisfying, you need to find your way of, some way of distancing yourself from that well. Take a break from spending time with those friends. Uh, maybe put up blocks in your life. Fill in those wells that you continually visit. Find accountability. I think that's most important. And that's worth saying, like, you guys need to join a group. We say it all the time. Again, you're like, why, why am I so miserable? Why can't I find happiness? You're not changing your diet. We have men's group that meets every week, women's group that meets every other week, and then we have other groups that meet. You're like, Nathan, that's two groups too many. I'm telling you, you're guaranteed to be happy, or the Bible promises it. There's a desire inside of us, and it can only be satisfied in God. And here's my last point. The best part of this hunger and thirst, and it's going to sound weird at first, the best part of this hunger and thirst, this change of diet, change of appetite, is that the hunger and thirst and satisfaction are continual. The hunger doesn't go away. The hunger grows, and so does the satisfaction as we change and become more like Jesus. We talk about salvation, and we can believe that Jesus forgave us from our sin, 
That's the beginning. And we can believe that Jesus is going to take us home to be with him in heaven at the end. That's the end. In the middle, he's calling you to a happy life, a life of righteousness. And we can believe that he can give us that too. The Apostle Paul later in life, so this is when he's old, right? He should have it all figured out because he's old. He found himself in prison. And he's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And in this letter, he lists all the hungers and desires he had before becoming a Christian. And they were a lot. Paul was a man of desire. And he had gained power and fame and recognition. But this is what he says in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that's like follow, trying to follow all the rules, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, because becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may, may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, oh, how great it would be to be like Christ, to live my life according to his will and his desires, the design of my creator, because the new normal is that he died in your place so that you can really live right now. There's a desire inside of us and it can only be satisfied in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hunger that you've given us for you and your will. And we pray that you would just give us the power, the willpower, the self-control to change our diet because we want to develop an appetite for you. Make us more like you every day in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys go ahead and stand. Let's sing this together.